the topic is about forgiveness. We're going to read a few um, passages of scripture, and we're going to look through uh, the truth that's embedded in the scripture about forgiveness and then some principles that I want to suggest that, that I've learned about forgiveness and how to apply it to our lives. Because what I want to suggest to you is that forgiveness is the gospel in action. Forgiveness is the heart of what it is that Jesus Christ accomplished. We've just come through Easter. We realize that apart from his willingness to stand in our place, to suffer on our behalf, we would not be forgiven. But the scripture is so clear when it says, as you have received, give. So I want to challenge you to learn about forgiveness and practice forgiveness as it's embedded within the scripture. I want you to open your Bibles. Um, If you have them, you're going to be able to read on the screen along with me if you haven't from Genesis chapter, uh, haven't brought your Bibles, from Genesis chapter 50. And we're going to have a look at verse 19. But let me set the context. The stage is, and I'm captivated by the life of Joseph, when under the staggering weight of the offenses committed against him by his own family, his brothers. They stripped him, they mocked him, and they sold him. They sold him, their own brother, as a slave because they were so angry and so jealous at their father's inappropriate favoritism. They had no idea, I believe at that time, what that act would cost him. Maybe they thought it would cost him his life, maybe. But as we've read the story, if we're familiar with the story in the book of Genesis, it cost him enslavement, it cost him sexual temptation that he resisted that led to false accusation of sexual assault and ultimately to be imprisoned in the pits of Egypt's jail system and they threw away the key. He had the gift of interpretation of dreams, he interpreted those dreams and then he was yet again forgotten and rejected in jail, low moment in jail. Joseph's life and then in the miracle that only has God's fingerprints on it he was moved from the prison to become the prime minister of that great nation and in a famine in the fullness of time his brothers come begging bread there's a cat and mouse game between them he's testing who they are and now at this point dad has died And the boys are afraid that Joseph is going to be just like them. And with dad out of the way, take retaliation and instant justice and hurt them. That's how they think. And they raise their thinking and fear and accuse actually Joseph of being like them. And this is Joseph's staggering response. It's going to be on the screen. Let's read it together. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Isn't that a gobsmacking story of forgiveness? It's remarkable. Let me wed it, parrot, twin it with another passage of scripture that the Apostle Paul, actually God the Holy Spirit through the pen of the Apostle Paul, wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20. 
2 um, to 24, and then we're going to skip down and read uh, the final verse of the chapter. So let's read that together in unison. That in reference to your former manner of life, read that with me, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. No wonder you weren't reading with me. (laughs) Are we just having trouble with that? Oh, that's the verse I want. Let's read this together. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Do you see that? He's saying now that you have a changed mind and now that you've got some changed behavior going on, you need to practice the gospel in another way because this is the deal. When you're putting off the old way and you're putting on the new way, everybody's sort of in between, putting on, putting off. And guess what happens when half-formed Christians, half-dressed Christians practicing their faith are mingling and connecting in the church? You're going to have what? Collisions. You're going to have problems. You're going to have mistakes. You're going to have failures. You're going to have (gasps) oops. How do you deal with oops in the church? You forgive. Just the way Jesus forgave your mile high pile of sin. You forgive your piles accrued as offenses against you. That's remarkable, isn't it? That the practice of the gospel equates with forgiveness. Now, here's what I want to say to you. The world thinks, and our history and current news at 6 o'clock reinforces, that religion is the tool of retaliation. If you doubt that, watch 6 o'clock and see what ISIS is up to. And if you're really brave, go down to Timmy's, have a cup of coffee, and turn to a person that you don't know and ask them this question. Tell me, what do you think about Baptists? Make sure you're wearing the hide of a rhinoceros. Because if you ask a person to tell you the truth, they're just likely to tell you. Because probably what they equate our title and history with is, oh, you hate gays, don't you? Oh, you're really opposed to this, aren't you? I want to suggest to you that more people within the world identify religion, if we use that term, and of which we are a part as we worship God, more negatively than positively. We have a lot of living down to do, but let me tell you, when you live out the gospel of Jesus Christ and you practice forgiveness, it will gobsmack the world and they'll go, what? You as a community know how to get over that? You know how to forgive each other. You don't have to be factious. You don't have to be splintered. You don't have to run away. You know how to build community when you've been offended? What is that all about? And we'll say, oh, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you about Jesus. Because what he did for me gives me the power to do for others. And let me share you how it can work for you. Forgiveness is amazing. 
It is amazing because it is the means whereby we within the church can restore the equilibrium, equilibrium, try and say that fast three times, in the church when we're out of balance in offense. If these were the only two places in the scripture in which we read about forgiveness, they would be enough to require us to know and follow the teaching. But forgiveness runs like a gold thread through the scripture parallel to the red thread that that goes through the scripture. The red is redemption and the gold is forgiveness. Because it's by grace we're forgiven, right? Forgiveness is what we receive in Christ because he died for us. The message of forgiveness, the practice of the gospel within the church, as God's people means we understand and practice the truth of what we've received. And it says within the gospel, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. John 13, 35. If you love each other, in other words, it's conditioned. If you really do this for one another, it will be the means of witness within the world. Now look, this is what we do with with love. We make it equate to nice. And we equate it with being, you know, lovely, kind, considerate, nice. You know, apple pies at the door. No, I'm not opposed to apple pie. If you have one, I'd gladly receive it. But let me tell you what love really means. It means when you were wounded and offended and hurt, you choose to do the tough, difficult work of forgiveness. Oh, how he loves you and me. We get that. We sing that. But it doesn't mean because we're comfortable. It means because we're redeemed. Right? We need to practice what we hold in heart. And Paul agrees with, pardon me, Jesus states it. And the passage that Pastor Paul read means that Jesus takes this seriously from, John, from Matthew chapter 6. At the end of teaching the Lord's Prayer on the Sermon of the Mount. He says, if you don't do this, you're saying to God, don't do it for me. Now he's not saying you earn your salvation. It would be easy if it was the only passage to reread to leap to that conclusion. I've got to forgive, and if I don't forgive, then God is going to forgive me, and it sounds conditional. But what he's really saying is, if you don't know how to forgive, it means you don't get it. Because when you get it, you can't help but give it. So I've got to tell you, The way that we forgive is when we see Jesus. When we look at Jesus. When we see his death. And we go, all of that for me. I can release that for you. Within the principles of forgiveness, here's where it gets tough. A quote from C.S. Lewis, and he says it so well. Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. What that really means is I'm far more interested in receiving it than giving it. I'm far more interested in having someone forgive me than doing the hard work of forgiveness. I'm so grateful that God has forgiven me. What is that that I have to do for someone else? Oh, Lord, surely you wouldn't expect of that if you really knew 
And the Lord just looks at us. And we get it. We get it. And so Paul says, we desperately need to understand and practice forgiveness. So that as the followers of Jesus Christ, we can live with these two gaps throughout our lives within the context of the church. Our failures and other failures against us. And the forgiveness, which is the practice of grace that we've received in Christ, as we demonstrate it to each other, teaches the world that our failures are not final. The last word on our life doesn't have to be our failure. There is a way to get over, to get beyond, to surmount both how you have been wronged and how you have wronged others. And in the pen of the Holy Spirit, through the writing of Paul, he says, Would you be kind? Will you be tender? Will you be compassionate? Would you allow, and the word is splankna. I love the word. It's one of those words that sounds like it is. It means your guts turn over. And you know what that means when you see something that moves you? You feel it where? Here. Will you be kind to each other? Will you be compassionate? Will you be tenderhearted? Will you forgive each other? Just like Jesus forgave you. So here's the deal. God doesn't say, go practice forgiving. I'll think about forgiving you. Prove yourself. He says, let me forgive you. Come to the cross. Be bathed in my mercy. Now, child of mine, go give it away. Go spread it around. Go practice. Isn't it amazing how he trusts us? Isn't it remarkable? But let me tell you this, the church is wait, pardon me, the community is waiting to see it practiced within the church. Waiting to see it practiced within the family. Waiting to see it practiced, demonstrated through the church in the community so that the message of the gospel can be seen and believed and trusted because it's demonstrated. Can you see how important this is? You can be pardoned and you can pardon others. You've been treated kindly and you can treat others in the same spirit. So let me tell you, how do we do this? Because often I know I fall into the trap as a pastor of transmitting truth and thinking really that I've demonstrated truth. I've told you what the Bible says, but how do we get the Bible done? So I want to give you what I call some practical, some things I've observed and seen in pastoral ministry, which has been 35 years for me. Most of you are too kind to remind me of that. And that I see the struggle in our mission fields to take the gospel and penetrate a community that thinks they know what the truth is, but has no understanding of grace. I want to tell you what forgiveness is what forgiveness isn't, and how I think you can do it. In the first place, let me tell you four things that forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness isn't pretending. You know, when the brothers came to Joseph, he didn't say, oh, I have no idea what you're talking about, ancient history, you know. Oh, it's sort of fuzzy. Are you kidding me? What did you say to them? You did it on purpose. You did it for evil. Wow. I think at that point, the boys are looking for the exit. 
I would be. He's confronting them with the truth. Here's the first thing. Forgiveness isn't pretending. Because if you have to swallow your pain, it's just going to put an ulcer in your gut. It's going to put a nightmare in your dreams. It's going to put a saddle on your life. It's going to hobble. It's going to bind. It's going to wreck you if you think the answer to forgiveness is pretending it didn't happen. Jesus says, face it. I did. And what did he cry from the cross to the very people that were pinning him there with the nails? Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. Joseph said, you hurt me. Bad, it isn't pretending. Secondly, forgiveness isn't excusing. You know, he didn't go, well, guys, you know, look, dad was a polygamist. You know, our lives were a mess. If the old man hadn't been the way he was, our lives would have been better. Right? I mean, he could have said stuff like that. Didn't say anything close to that. He didn't excuse their sin. He didn't make up and say, well, you know, we've all had rough things. And, you know, I can sort of, sort of, he labeled it. It was hard. It was evil. It was tough. It wrecked his life. So he didn't. Right? Pretend. He didn't excuse. The third thing he didn't do is he didn't permit it. It, And here's where we really struggle with forgiveness. We struggle with forgiveness because we think if we let people off the hook, they're going to figure out it's okay to do it and they'll do it again. And that sets up two things that are problematic. The first is it means we're more interested in justice than mercy. And we're saying to Jesus, you know what? You know what? You know what? That guy really doesn't deserve it because he's hurt me bad and he's going to keep hurting me bad. And if I don't deal with it. And Jesus said, I'll tell you what. Here's the deal. You release him. He'll be on my hook. Why don't you let me hold that? Why don't you let me be God in this life and you stop being God, the Holy Spirit? Deal? I mean, that's big confrontation, isn't it? But when it's something that has hurt us and it's really bad, we want to step into God's role. Why? Because we got hurt bad. And we got trust issues and got pain issues. But when you let someone off your hook, they're never off God's hook until he releases them. And some of you are thinking like I did for a while. Oh, God. You can do in his life what I could never hope to do. God, sick him. (laughs) Fair? Oh, come on. We do battle with God like that sometimes. Until God remembers, right. I'm not going to do that to you. I brought you to the bar of mercy. Because if I brought you to the bar of my justice, you would not survive. And I'm humbled and ashamed and start to pray for mercy because God, if you judge him according to his works like you do me, he has no hope as I have no hope apart from you. It changes your prayer life. It changes you. See, it isn't permission. It isn't pretending. It isn't excusing. And it isn't reconciliation. When you forgive someone, they might not be ready to be in fellowship with you. They might not want that freedom with you. But that doesn't mean that you have to hold their death till they do. That's why you can forgive a dead person. 
You can forgive that parent that wounded you, that abused you, that terribly, terribly destroyed and impacted you. They don't have to be present for you to release that. It's what you're holding on to. And you know the math. There's nothing anyone could ever do to make up for the time and pain and suffering that you've experienced. What happens to you when you forgive is you let go of claiming the debt. And as you release this, guess who's free from holding the rope? We are. We're free. Think about that. Let me tell you a few things that I believe forgiveness is. In the first place, forgiveness is always suffering. You absorb the cost. When you excuse a debt, no, you don't. When you cut the debt, when you release the debt, when you forgive the debt, you suffer. You say, okay, I'm going to absorb that. Whoa, that was painful. But you know what? You've already suffered, haven't you? You've already been in pain, aren't you? You've already calculated the weight, haven't you? Forgiveness is about suffering. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How did it happen? He suffered for us. When we forgive, we join him. We join suffering. We say there is no other way to release but that I acknowledge this. The second thing is there's an expense to it. It costs you something. You release the debt without condition. You're not saying, okay, I'm going to release this, but one day, you know, one day, I'd really like you to make that up for me. No, you're saying no compensation, no debt. It's canceled, paid in full. It's out, it's gone. Ripped up the sheet. It's suffering, it's expensive, and what it means is that forgiveness is pardon. Forgiveness is a fabulous word in the New Testament. It comes in other forms and usage in the Greek language. It means to cut. It means to loose or release. It means to free. It means to pardon. It means to divorce and separate. So if you package all of that together in forgiveness, you get a little bit of a picture of what it means to forgive. You let go. And then you don't chase the trail, do you? (laughs) Because the fourth thing that forgiveness means is that it's a journey towards forgetfulness. Because this is what I've learned in forgiveness and in its practice. That after I've released something that has torn me up inside, an offense that I need to calculate, I'm going to give you a couple of steps. What I discover in forgetfulness is that I sometimes get flashbacks. I sometimes go and revisit the pain that I've decided and calculated to release. And I've discovered that there are two sources of that. Sometimes it is God the Holy Spirit that brings me back to that. And I recalculate and I go, oh, you know what? I thought it cost me this much. But now as I journey forward, it cost me this much. God, I need to recalibrate that. And I need to consider that and release it. I hadn't thought about this. I'm letting it go. And sometimes it's our cunning enemy. Comes along in the middle of the night, rings that little bell like Pavlov for his dog, and we're conditioned. We listen to that, we celebrate, and we go, oh, I want justice. And he's coming to trap us. And we drop to our knees, whether it be by our bed 
or figuratively in our hearts and we say, Lord Jesus, I remember releasing all of that because you released all of mine. You've pardoned me, you've forgiven me, you've cleansed me. I'm free. And you roll over and if that's the enemy, he's going to let you go to sleep because he doesn't want you talking to Jesus. Right? He'll stop. So what I'm saying is it doesn't matter the source. It's either God awakening you so that you can recalibrate and free or it's the enemy tempting you, but the answer is to always go to Jesus. And if you do, it's yours. Forgiveness, you see, I want to say offenses come in categories. A lot of the things that happen as we're growing up in the church and developing and forming within the church are what I would call nickel-dime Quarters, loonies, and toonies, right? They're small change. But you know what happens when you have a pocket full of small change? It rattles, you feel it, you know it, and everyone around you knows you're packing it, right? But in the category, small category of those issues, those offenses, they're real. And what I'm saying to you as you practice them, they're not that expensive. You don't suffer that deeply. As you calculate and consider them, what you need to do is just get over them, get beyond them, get through them. You can hold on to them if you want. You know what? That guy for the third Sunday in a row walked by me and didn't stop to talk to me. Oh, get over it. Really, get over it. Really, nudge the guy beside you and say, get over it. Do you know what I'm saying? When we make the, and here's the, dish, here's the issue. No, I'm not mocking it. I am trying to categorize it. I'm not mocking it. But here's the problem we have with offenses. We feel the ones committed against us way more deeply than we feel the ones we've committed against other people. You know why? Because I'm not in your skin and I don't know how you feel, but I know how I feel. And when I rehearse that, hang on to it, because here's the deal. When I have one of those kinds of things going on in my head, and I'm arguing myself as if I was a lawyer before the bar of heaven about how good I am and how bad they are, I never lose one of those arguments. And what I do is minimize how I've offended you and maximize how you've offended me. And the means of getting over that is to release as you've been released. There's a second category, and they're big ones. They're the categories where someone has given you their word and they've broken it, where someone's committed to you in partnership, whether it's marriage or business, and they've reneged. It's been an issue that has changed in some way the measure and course of your life. A position has been lost. A future is now no longer in your grasp. It's a really big deal. Uh, You need to calculate those. You need to spend time on that. They're large failures that cost us deeply. As a younger pastor, I had a woman that came into my office. She had been abandoned by her husband who ran away with another woman. And she was looking at a very difficult future with three little kids and very little that she had as resource to be able to begin to care for them. She walked into my office and she began to talk with me about her experience. And then she blew me out of the water when she said, Pastor, I'm going to forgive him because I'm tired of thinking of the pain. I've got a reality to live with. And Pastor, here's what I want to say. I don't want the way he treated me 
to form my treatment of him or anyone else. I went, wow. That was a sacred moment. Because Jesus has forgiven me. And we worked that through in prayers of forgiveness. I watched her obtain freedom and begin the journey of forgetfulness as she rebuilt her life in the confidence of Jesus. Wow. Wow. You see, in the first category, it's sort of like when Peter came to Jesus and uh, somebody had ticked him off, I'm assuming, because he said to Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? And the current teaching of the Pharisees was three strikes and you're out. He can offend you once, let it go. Forgive you twice, offend you twice, let it go. Offend you three times, you can cut him off. And Peter, anticipating that Jesus had a higher bar, said to him, Lord, let's perf- pick a perfect number. How about seven times I forgive my brother? Do you remember Jesus' answer to him? Seventy times seven, 490. What was the point? Not that you run out after church, go down to you know, a stationary store and buy a Hillroy Dutang and start recording all the offenses. No, not the point. The point is countless. Stop counting. Category one. Category two, you don't need to count because it's come to live with you. But you do have to consider what it costs you. You do have to consider its impact. And you do have to make the tough choice of cutting and releasing. Third category is what I want to call the atomic bomb. Let me give you an example of the atomic bomb and how I saw grace in action in the life of this leader. His name is Paul Johnson. He's the leader of South Delta Baptist Church, a church that's burdened for its community and into church planting. You may have heard about them because in BC, they planted that little church called Village. Oh, you don't know about it. It's 4,000 people now. Not too shabby, huh? Released a few people and a great leader, and God met them, and it's explosive. And they're going to do it again. I can tell you the details of this story are as follows, that on February the 26th, 2013, while Paul's son, Taylor, was house-sitting a rural property in Langley as a part-time job, which was later discovered and determined to be a marijuana grow-up, that he was sitting in a chair guarding the property which was his job whether or not he knew about the rest we'll never know and someone decided to rip off the grow up believing him to be the protection of that shot him with a caliber rifle through the window and murdered him beautiful boy full of potential and promise 21 years of age you don't walk away from that It comes and lives with you. You walk with that. It's your shadow. You're devastated with loss. And it rests in your heart. And this is what he said in an interview. We can't carry around bitterness or hatred. That would just destroy our family, says Paul. Our six-year-old son, raised in Paul's family, summed it up this way. Mom... I'm praying for the bad guys. 
because they need Jesus. Paul stated, we hope these men find Jesus through this event. And if we are called to be a part of that process, we'll be open to that. Let me tell you how open he was. He forgave that man. Because that man could never make it up to him. He could never restore the jewel of their lives called Taylor. And he was determined that that action wouldn't define his family. Wow. Wow. That's what Jesus did for you and I, didn't he? He calculated the cost and it was so enormous that in the garden he said to the father, Oh God, if there is any other way, Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, your will be done. And he did it. So how do you do it? How do we do it? Let me suggest some steps. Number one, determine to do it. The hardest part of an action is the first choice to get it done. Decide to forgive. Decide to practice it. Make a calculated choice. And before God, sit down with pen and paper and say, Father, bring to mind any of those things that I have not forgiven, I have not surrendered, I have not released. Would you remind me? And start writing. And then when your list is full, start a prayer. Father, I forgive and fill in the blank with the name for and stay with it until your list is all crossed off. I was in Zambia in 2005. I went with a trans-Africa teaching team and I was teaching rural pastors in the book of James in the, you know, I'm talking about a place where the road disappeared into only a suggestion and then it became a goat trail and then people were walking, illiterate pastors, shepherding groups of people. They walked 30 kilometers to listen to me. I mean, what an opportunity. I was so overwhelmed and so excited and I was teaching them, but I had one of those dreams in the middle of the night. You know, those conversations I was winning God, they were so wrong. I can clearly remember that in that place, Katambula, Africa, God woke me up. And he said to me, not a loud voice, audible voice, but an internal voice. You know what I'm talking about. Dave, Dave, what are you doing? How long are you going to hold on to this? It's not between him and you. It's between you and me. For my sake, will you let it go? I started to cry. You know, my eyes just leaked because my heart was broken. He took me to the woodshed. He didn't lay a licking on me. He just reminded me of grace. All you've received, all you're doing Can't you let it go? So I did. And I went to sleep. And I woke up free. 
I want you to have that. But I don't want you to miss the important part. That Jesus doesn't say, forgive so that I can forgive you. He's saying to you, I've forgiven you so you can forgive. See the difference? If you reverse those two, you are running like a hamster on a treadmill, hoping that if you get that circle going fast enough, God will pay attention and forgive you. All the while, he's forgiven you, saying, I hope I get your attention. So that if you receive my grace, you'll have grace to give. And you can journey to forgetfulness so that it no longer occupies your heart or chains you in bitterness or destroys your witness. Friends, your community so wants to see you practice forgiveness so they can be attracted to the gospel that we treasure. They need to see it demonstrated It needs to be in our kids, in our families. It needs to be in our ministries, in our churches. It needs to be in our neighborhoods and communities. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving each other. Just as Christ in God forgave you. Let's go make it true.